For the first time since 2015, your Duke Blue Devils have started ACC play 2-0. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast brought to you by Comfort Mechanical Contractors, Durham's premier commercial HVAC installation and service company. For more information, go to comfortmc.com or call 919-383-2502. I'm your host, Brian Kennedy, joined as always with my co-hosts, Josh Cox, Scott Medlin, and Jamie Holt. And as I stated earlier, the Blue Devils start ACC play 2-0 after a big convincing win, no matter who you ask, state fans included, 24-3. And as always, before we give our thoughts on the game, we got to hear from the man himself. Here's head coach Mike Elko, post-game, after the big win. Um, hats off to North North Carolina State. I thought that was a hard-fought job, a hard-fought game. Obviously, a lot of respect for Dave and the job that they do over there. Um, I thought the story of our game tonight was our defense. I thought our defense, uh, we challenged them earlier in the week to step up. Uh, we knew the best defense on the field tonight would win the football game, um, and it had to be us to get us where we wanted to go, and I thought it certainly was. I thought they played lights out from beginning to end. Um, proud of Henry. I thought he did a really good job managing the game. Obviously, not at a overly gaudy stat line, but I thought he managed the game the way we wanted him to, and so was really happy with how he played. Um, we were able to create explosives. thought that was really important with the way they play defense and you know the amount of bodies they have in and around the line of scrimmage. We knew we had to create explosives to be successful, and we were able to get that done. Um, and then Jeremiah Hazley, how about him stepping up and replacing Nicky Dalmolin and, and doing the things that he needed to do as we continue to just be a next man up operation. And so really happy with how our guys played tonight. thought we played the game the way we needed to to get the win. And now it's on to the next and a big opportunity next week in Tallahassee. And again, that was head coach Mike Elko giving his postgame thoughts after the big 24-3 to rally over the North Carolina State Wolfpack. It was the first time since 2013, fellas, that NC State had graced the halls of Wallace Wade Stadium. We were all there except for Jamie. He's still recovering from COVID. Jamie, hope you're getting better. But let's just jump right into it. Let's just talk about this. This was one of those games where we thought we knew going in what was going to happen. And then, as always, the coaching staff just blew us away with the performance Henry Beelan, King Henry IV, great performance by him after that errant interception. But you know what? We'll talk about it all. Josh, you're back from the land of Mickey Mouse. First off, how was it? Secondly, your thoughts on NC State. Yeah, had a great time down there with uh, with Mickey. Um, weather was beautiful. Got away with the family. Walked entirely too much. Um, but yeah, had a great time. Um Really enjoyed the episode uh, last week with Jordan. Thanks to Jordan Mann for coming on to my place. And then also enjoyed uh, you guys sitting down with Kevin Johns uh, with the Durham Devils Club as well on Thursday night. Was able to, to, to watch that uh, back afterwards as well. But yeah, my thoughts on the game Saturday. So a couple of things. First of all, I was uh, obviously you know hoping that Riley was going to play. Um, and, and, and hopeful for that. But then, you know, the closer we got to game time, you know, started hearing that it wasn't going to happen, which is fine. Henry came in, I thought, and played a great game. We're going to probably talk about that in a little bit with some of the questions uh, that you have. I thought Henry uh, managed the game. One of the things that I thought was interesting is, you know, if you would have asked anybody before the game, they're going to say, okay, if Henry plays, we're literally going to just run the ball down their throats. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great, but they're going to be ready for that. And so we're going to have to do some other stuff. Well, turns out we really just ran the ball down their throat. Like they're a good defense, not a great defense. 
They're good. Um, but we ran the ball down their throat. I thought that was awesome. And then we did find out that we were not just down Riley. We were also down Nikki Dalmolin. Uh, Jeremiah Lewis also did not play uh, in this game. And so Terry Moore stepped in his spot. And then Jeremiah Hazley at tight end, which we'll talk about him in a little bit as well. Thought those guys did great. And then, of course, I couldn't start the pod without mentioning my guy, Todd Polino, bouncing back in case you were wondering, in case you were wondering if that Notre Dame got to his head, drops a 52-yarder in this game. He's back on track and ready to roll. So shout out to Todd. Before we continue, fellas, I just want to throw this out there. We're calling an audible tonight. We typically give our reaction, go into an interview, then we go into our mailbag. Well, we had promised EJ Manuel. Unfortunately, due to scheduling circumstances, we couldn't get him on. So we're going to have a boo, double dose. EJ Manuel, boo. I mean, it's Florida State Week. He might not have wanted to come on and talk. Three cheers but... for Eric McClain. None, <laughs> yes. none for EJ Manuel. And if you didn't see it, folks, Big E repped the Section 17 brand during yes, one did. of the segments on Friday. It was Friday, correct? The three-point uh, they... shootout there in Cameron. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. And of course, Big E won. Why wouldn't he? But anyway, we are going to have two, count them, two mailbag segments tonight. We're going to have a mailbag segment for the state reaction. And then, of course, we'll have our mailbag segment for FSU. Scott, Jamie, I'm sorry I interrupted your reaction to the game. No, it was, it was, you know, at first when the game started after uh, Henry had made that pick, uh, through the pick and state got the football. It seemed like, okay, don't know what's going to happen. And then they go negative two yards, and my man kicks a 57-yard field goal. So, hey, shout out to him. That that dude, that powder kid, he's no Todd father, but he's got a nice leg on him. So, you know, then Todd comes out there and does the same thing, kicks a 52-yarder and actually, you know, hits field goal extra points after we score touchdowns. So even better. But, you know, it was a total team effort to me. Um, you know, we're going to hit some of this in a little bit, but, uh, it seemed like in the second half, we kind of left everybody wanting for more. I think that was just the plan. Uh, once, uh, you know, got up on them, the the philosophy has been so far in Duke football and Mike Elko history is ground and pound. And if you can't stop it, then you can't stop it. And it was interesting to see where Wilson, he lined up a lot of times. He didn't blitz as much as he did in games past. But I think he also knew he was going to get chipped a lot. And I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. Whoever gets him next season in the NFL, you are getting ready to get a player. That kid is unbelievable. He he would line up on the far right side, and they would run it to the far left, and he would still get over there in about three seconds and get in on the tackle. I mean, you just don't get that in college football. So that's my one praise. My man did a great job. Other than that, you know, we hit MJ Moore's, and that's something we're going to – Something else I'll mention later, but we, we got to MJ Morris and hurt him a couple times to the point where it almost looked like we were getting ready to take him out of the game because he was hurting so bad. Uh, yeah, of course, I didn't get to go to the game. I hated not to be there with, with everyone, but um, I'm definitely feeling a lot better now. But, uh, yeah, I was just thinking maybe we could put a statue of Tyler Santucci outside of a Carter Family Stadium. <laughs> Because isn't he like, isn't he considered like a founding father now? Or like, you know, maybe no their doubt. daddy or something. You There's know, Wallace but, uh, Wade, Steve Spurrier, David Cutcliffe, Tyler Santucci. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was just a completely dominant defensive performance. And getting to watch it on TV is actually, I mean, watching from Section 17 is actually the best, of course. Shout out Chris McCurdy, I know that. 
Uh, <laughs> but uh, watching from Section 17 is the best. But watching it on TV, you get to see a little bit more than what you see from from the stands. And I just saw dominance, just pure dominance on the line, pure dominance on the offensive line as well against a really good state defensive line, especially when Duke was able to start running the ball. Uh, there was a while there where it seemed like they weren't going to be able to even get hardly a yard running the ball, but then they kind of wore state down as it went on. Uh, that's just all I got to take from it, just a dominant defensive performance, a good first start from Henry Bielen, controlled the game, did what we needed him to do. Yeah, so I actually worked press this game, so I got a little bit of the on-field experience for this rivalry. It was good to see a bunch of the 2013 uh, ACC uh, coastal champions and uh, saw Anthony Boone. Didn't talk to him because everyone was all together. So uh, Ross Cockrell, it was good to just see some of the guys back. A lot of former players, not just the 2013 team, were there. And my God, the amount of recruits that came to this game. Uh, it wrapped By the around. Way, shout ahead. out Dave Harding came down from the from the top and was down there with the uh, 2013 the friend of the pod, friend of the pod Dave Harding down there. Yep, I actually saw Dave up in the tower. Said a bit, uh, shook his hand. You know, it'd been a little while, but very gracious, and it was always good to see Dave and talk with him. But again, ton of recruits, guys. I'm talking. It wrapped around from where Duke's team bench was to the uh, end zone and all the way up to where State's bench was. That's how many people were there. Of course, family included. But regardless, one thing I will say, and, and again, I'm, 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 we're not going to go down this rabbit hole, but State traveled well. Credit where credit's due. There was probably four pockets of student sections of State students. Now, one thing that they obviously didn't learn from last year that they certainly learned after the game was you don't trash talk this team. There was a pocket of students right at the tunnel where all the players come out. And they were just jawing Dwayne Carter, going off on him. And there's a video, and I don't know the exact wording, but they were just basically they told. I know, I know what it was. Go ahead. I saw the video. It's been shared, by the way. We shared it on our Twitter. I think it's got like fifteen thousand views or something right now. But the fan yells down, "Riley, uh, your Riley's not going to save you tonight." Yeah, or something. And Dwayne waits like two seconds, and all he says is, "Enjoy the show," as they run out <laughs> onto the field. Yeah, so again, great performance by, by Duke. The Cowbell himself, Jordan Waters, had another amazing game. Another touchdown. Guys, he's what, five touchdowns away, I think, from breaking the Duke's Duke rushing record in a season and we or for touchdowns, and we've got, what, six games left? It's going to happen. Hopefully it happens in Chapel Hill College, just an exclamation point, but you never know. So kudos to Jordan Waters, uh, Jalen Calhoun, Guys, he only had one reception, but it mattered the most. That juke he put on the state defender, I think the Durham police are still on the field trying to figure out what happened with that murder. That was ridiculous. And and you can't say, say that without saying Henry's deception. Yes. Like that dude, his RPO deception, his pump fake deception, even his snap cadence with his clap. He's he's actually he is really good at that, man. That was beautiful. You're exactly right. Very, very, very well. I mean, he threw us off. Tyler was next to me and he he was a few seconds behind. Even the ABC cameraman was because he faked everyone out. So kudos to him. I will say the most fight I saw out of state was actually in the stands. I I went into section 17 near the end of the third quarter. There was a few inebriated state fans leaving because they were upset at the outcome. 
and they were wanting to fight some Duke fans. And that was the most spirit I'd seen in someone wearing a red and black shirt all night long. Now, cops were called, campus police were called. That's all I can say. I mean, there wasn't much on the field. And, and listen, state fans, players, just admit that you got beat. I know it's been a long time since these two fans have, or these two teams have met. Take your medicine and let's move on. Now, we initially thought that this rivalry was going to be back for years to come, but obviously with the expansion coming next year, that could blow everything up. It could be another 10 years before we see State again. But to all these State fans that are just, well, this was why we lost, and this is why y'all scored so many, just stop. You lost, move on, give us some credit. But like we've seen, fellas, no one gives this team credit where credit's due. I mean, sometimes the media still is saying, yeah, but when Duke defeats a team. So great night overall. Have some stats really quick for you guys. I know I always bring it to the table. Anyone want to guess the last time Duke's first two ACC opponents failed to score more than 10 points combined? When was the last time a Duke defense in their first two ACC game? Don't look it up. Oh, Take I was a guess. Up from the yeah. email earlier. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We're, it's not an email. I found it. I don't know. 2012. I'll put it to you guys this way. None of us were born. None of us were born. 1939. Uh, That was Jack Wallabaugh's freshman year. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait. Scott, when were you born? I'm not trying to show your age. I'm being honest. I I don't know. It wasn't 39. I can tell you that. (laughs) It was 76. (laughs) Okay. Fellas, 1971. Duke defeated UVA 28 to nothing. And they actually lost to Clemson three to nothing. So that team only gave up three points in the first two ACC games. First time that's happened. Mike Elko's seven and three record to start his first 10 ACC games is the best conference start for a Duke coach since Bill Murray went eight and two in the now defunct Southern Conference play in 1951 and 1952. Records are just going out the wayside with this coaching staff. Love it. Again, another great performance. Going to need that performance and more this weekend against FSU, but we'll get to that here in the next few minutes. So with that being said, we have our first mailbag, and it's NC State reaction related. So, Jamie, go ahead and get us started. You fans came, wanted to get our reaction and and thoughts even more on State, so we figured we'd do another mailbag. Jamie, go ahead. One thing before we get started on the State questions, talking about Dwayne Carter. This team is full of elite trash talkers. Like, yes. I mean, they just <laughs> full of elite trash talkers, and I love it. I love it. And they were talking constantly. I, you could really, once again, there's something you can really see on the TV. They were there was a lot of jawing going on, but it's it's a fun team. This is a fun team. Uh, all right. So at Splash Obi, Tyler, uh, he he wants us, our thoughts on uh, King Henry's first career start. King so Henry Josh, the know, fourth. fourth. <laughs> Come on, it's the lineage. Hell. Pinky I know Josh up. Had some thoughts on that. So yeah, all hell, King Henry. So, well, uh, so let's go back through it. Uh, he, he ends up four for twelve, um, which obviously that's not a good completion percentage. But let's go back through that. Well, overall, number one, he managed the game well. He did exactly what the coaching staff needed him to do. Aside from the interception, and Coach Elko spoke to that today in his press conference. Um, it's about fifty-fifty on whether. Coach knew what Henry saw. Coach also saw what Jordan Moore saw and why Jordan Moore cut the route off. 
he understood why Henry thought he would he wouldn't do that. So he's like, you know, I don't really know who to blame that on. There's really no one to blame. I, in hindsight, you kind of wish Henry, if he was about to get hit, would have just thrown that out of bounds um, instead of throwing it up. Uh, but aside from that, it was like he needed that to kind of wake him up. And then you look at this. He threw at least two or three away on purpose. Like he was about to get hit. So you have the bad interception. That's an incompletion. Two or three, let's say two of him throwing it away. So that's three incompletions. And then you have two drops, and we won't even mention the players, but you had two legitimate drops. So those are five incompletions right there that are like, okay, those are good. Those are fine. And so if you add that in, he really probably missed three throws um, on the night of what he should have hit. Um, And let me just say this to all these state fans out there, especially the Locked On Wolfpack podcast. I'll, I'll call you out on the pod tonight. Listen, we were beating NC State so bad that we shut our offense down at halftime. We called one pass play in the entire second half. One pass play. Your team was that bad. The Duke coaching staff literally said, we can just sit here on offense and turn around and hand the ball off, and NC State is not going to score. That is how bad that offense was. So, anyway, I digress. I thought Henry was great. I will tell you, I think Duke fans, I think the coaching staff, I think Henry himself would say because of that game. Now, you know, should he? We don't know. Should he have to play this Saturday? Should he be called upon in any other game? I think this team has ultimate confidence in Henry Bieland. I would say the one pass that we did throw had it been caught was a touchdown because that was nobody in front of him but us. Anyway. And look, I think Duke's in good hands. Moving forward with Henry Bieland, uh, if Riley does decide to go pro after this year, even if he's able to come back for the Florida State game, which we hope he is. I mean, honestly, you would want Riley out there. But if Riley goes pro at the end of the year, I think Duke's in good hands with Henry Bieland. He looked uh, he looked the part uh, Saturday night. All right, at PD Duke 85, Peter Dodge coming in. Speaking of the four completed passes, when was the last time Duke completed just four passes and won, won a game? My suspicion is that the event predated Peter Dodge and Jack Wallaball, <laughs> which I got to think today he's probably right on that. I, I mean, mean, yeah, Jamie, I, I that was one piece of research I failed to look at, and I did look at the question, so my apologies, Peter. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even going to venture a guess <laughs> with all the – It's got to be like – it's got to be pre-forward pass, like, right? Well, no, I mean, there was – Wait a minute. Oh, Wait a minute. Not so fast, my friends. Not, not, I don't know if this was a win. He's efforting. Oh, I've got it. He's the first Blue Devil. I mean, you guys got to read the media uh, emails. Shout out, Cap. Henry's the first Blue Devil starter to complete four or fewer passes in a win since Mike Schneider did so against Georgia Tech in 2003. He was, was three, three of nine for 79 yards. I was going to say it was probably during the years from 95 to 2007 that happened. So Okay, there was a 2008 instance, but it was a loss. Football. Yeah, when I say who the quarterback was, Scott, I know you're going to you're going to know why he only had two two completions in the entire game. Oh, Zach Asack. Oh, Mr. Wow. Mr. quarterback draw. Run the, was run the two ball. Was 2 for 9 against Vatek. So, oh. 
I remember that because, in fact, he played for Thad, who got hurt the week before. That was the week after the state game, I do believe. Okay. Where we went after he Tad had the big game. He yep. went up to Blacksburg, and next week started emergency wise. And yeah, there were uh, there were Duke fans playing drinking games with that. Yeah. <laughs> runs the ball, take a drink. Yep. Uh, at Drew Chesh wants to know some more about Jeremiah Hazley, who looked looked good in unfortunate circumstances. Nikki Dalmalin Del- getting hurt during practice. Uh, but he, he looked really good out there. Yeah. So if you don't know the story, uh, he was a linebacker recruited as a linebacker. He played both linebacker and tight end in high school, uh, from the Pittsburgh area. Um, and you know, honestly, if you look at that linebacker room, you know, for sure, the top three are pretty solidified in Dorian Mosey, Trey Freeman and Cam Dillon. And then Nick Morris jr. Had really solidified that fourth linebacker spot. So really the linebacker too deep was set. And so um, Coach Elko said that this wasn't a, a thing where Hazley came to them. They actually went to Jeremiah and were like, hey, listen, you know, you see that where the depth chart is right now. If you want to be have a more integral role in our team, here's where we think we could use you. And he agreed to it as at the end of camp. Like he switched his number. It may have been like the second game even. that he's, or Maybe maybe it's the first game, but, it, you know, he switched his number right at the very end and – I mean, he he immediately you know jumped to number two on the tight end depth chart, and then with like you said, Jamie, with Nikki having the injury, stepped in, and I mean he had two catches, two of the four catch uh, completions from Henry Henry were to him, a nice touchdown. Um, so yeah, I mean that's sh- shout out to him. I, I think I think Duke has their tight end of the future uh, right there in Jeremiah Hazley. And to be uh, the second string tight end like that quick. After making the jump, that's that's pretty amazing. Brian, and, did you have and, anything to add? Yeah, and ahead, jumping an um, a upperclassman, and I'm not, you know, not to downgrade anybody, but, I mean, he did, so. And we met his family at the tailgate, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they're already in well with the uh, Section 17 hard hat guys tailgate, so it was good to meet with his family. But, yeah, agreed. That's another, another room that the next man up mentality, and, I mean, scored a touchdown first game really seeing a lot of action so kudos to him all right at wallace wade 24 ask a hard hitting question that the ghost of wallace wade (laughs) is is actually wallace wade (laughs) (laughs) he's like my friend jack wallabaw would like to know (laughs) we did meet his granddaughter that at the uh, we did yeah bbc event that was i just saw her the other night as we were leaving she passed us but anyway go ahead so i mean i don't think this is her but like i'm not sure uh why does the band play the other team's fight song pregame? And we we have trust me, we have we uh, do Wallace, not want this to happen. We constantly we think Wallace Wade would even. I think Wallace Wade grave. would roll in his grave knowing that maybe he's the one that started that. Look, I we have beat this horse way too many times. All we can say is probably not going to change. It's not going to change, and we're sorry, but. It's been going on since Jack Wallabaugh's freshman year, apparently. Jack, we love you if you're watching us. We're just joking. But don't know. We don't know why that tradition started, but it's apparently never going to end. Scott? I think it started when we started doing this uh, campaign of union together as teams. And then they did that one weekend, and Duke is the only team left that still does that stuff. 
Yeah, it was like an ACC thing, wasn't it, Scott? Like one year they were like really big on like the sportsmanship thing. Yeah, a- ACC Unify, I think is what they called it. Yeah. Hey, hey, 23 minutes in. Got him. Jamie's man. gone. <laughs> Jamie's gone. <laughs> Group chat one, Jamie zero. Hey, there's, there is one thing that's actually worse than playing the opponent's team fight song. Do y'all remember when we were so bad, like from that 1995 to 2007 era, when they used to play Wipeout yes. in front of the opposing team fans, and then we did yeah. 50 yes. adults. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, memories. So good. All right, at Bleed Blue underscore 24. And What's he's coming the 24s? in 24s? Are these students oh, or graduates? Possibly. Yeah, okay. He's coming in hot with, uh, did NC State realize that Duke was far superior to them? Seems that the state didn't have any urgency and was giving up close to the end of the third quarter. They were taking the play clock all the way down. And I mean, honestly, once again on TV, you could see the fear in MJ Morris's eyes. Like the defense, they had him well, at that point. There was, four sacks, was, right? Four right. sacks on the night. I'm well, honestly surprised they didn't bring in Brennan Armstrong at some point well, here, because he looked the, like he was done. I want to say, here's the thing. They didn't start dialing up the blitzes until the third quarter. They never blitzed in the first quarter. When they got in the third quarter, they saw that he was uh, – they could get to him, and then they had somebody new each time. It was BJ usually, but somebody mm-hmm. hit him, and there were many times that it didn't look like he was getting up. And how he got up a couple times, I don't know. Well, remember, we talked about this last week, guys. If you pressure MJ Morris, he was going to make a mistake. Yep. See the Trey Freeman interception. Yep. Scott, I think you even said if we pressure him enough – there's going to be an interception or two in that game. And wouldn't you know it, we pressured him, interception. Yeah, no, for sure. And here's, I think, what my frustration is with NC State and just the whole, the whole it's not just the fan base because it's the players too. If you guys saw the the, the clip from MJ Morris's post game, yep. I mean, they can't even just go in there and like say, yeah, we got our butt kicked. He's got to say like, they didn't beat us. We beat ourselves. No, bro, you got your butt kicked. Like, if Riley Leonard's playing, or even if Kevin Johns decides to continue calling the offense from the first half, you get you you lose this game forty-two to three. So, like, I don't know. I, mean, I just think there's some some like very much delusional uh, stuff going on over there in Raleigh, and yeah, they're they're in trouble. All I can say is for my state friends, we picked you guys eighth in the ACC, and that was way too high. Hey, that seat is hot over there, too. The, all the state fans now, that seat is getting hotter for Mr. Doran. All right. At Big Papa RV. Thought Big this Papa was a, Pump. thought this was a good question. Why are we in the shotgun formation on third inches? Haven't analytics proven that under center QB sneak is the best play call in that situation? Now, I don't know anything about analytics. I don't want Coach Elko calling me out again. Well, let's welcome in Kevin Johns offensive. No. <laughs> yeah, that that I I have no answer I mean, to it. A, I don't think it's a great question. Like, it, it it is. If I, hey, if you subscribe to the Durham Devils Club, $25 a month, you yourself can get on a Zoom call with Kevin Johns probably. Kevin Santucci coming soon. Just throwing that out there. Ty, Tyler Santucci. Tyler, Tyler, sorry, not Kevin. I don't guys again. I am perfect for the season. I'm horrible with names. My apology, Tyler Santucci. <laughs> no, yeah. here's what I'd say. My thing about going in shotgun, um, if on third or fourth and short, is if you're going to do it to like Tim Tebow it, I'm okay. 
Like yeah. if you're if you're going and you're going to power it with your quarterback, and you're going to just run it in, and maybe your running back's going to get behind them and do like the the butt push or whatever bush, they do. Bush push. The bush put. Pause. It's the tush push. Yeah, I think it's the tush push. No, it's, it's the bush oh, push. Oh my god! From Matt Liner when Reggie Bush pushed him oh, push to push. Dame <laughs> to win the game. Tyler, you're welcome. This oh, is going to be a fun edit this week. Oh, Man, I got to mute on that one. Um, but no, as long as you're lining up to do that on third or fourth and one, I'm fine. What I don't like on third and fourth and one is like the RPO feel. Um, you know what I mean? Where the, like the running back doesn't get like downhill quickly and he's trying to find a hole. Like to me, that that's where you get yourself in trouble. Um, so yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I, I would love for us to go under center, especially with Henry and just fall forward. You know what I mean? You're going to get a yard. So it, honestly, you got Jordan waters too. So like line it up under center, do, do a old HB dive and you should be able to get those, those few inches. But, but uh, for, for the, for the record also though, Duke is not the only team that does this. It happens all over America every Saturday. Every Thursday, Friday, Saturday happens in the NFL. It happens on Sundays. I was it happens say, yeah. all the time. So there's the analytics for a reason. All right. At A. Emery 1116, how much did the offensive play calling change with Beelan versus Leonard? Anything anybody notice? I, I didn't really notice. I, I mean, without disclosing like what some like people inside the program maybe have told us. Um, I believe they knew in the entire week that it was going to be Henry. I think we saw more two tight end, which I think they call that 12. Um, that's in football. Uh, you can tell I didn't play football. Um, but like two tight end, two wide receiver sets. Um, you saw a little bit more of that. And so, yeah, I do believe they were, you know, that, that was a little bit of a change. And certainly you're not going to give Henry – the leash that you give Riley. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to put him in the situations that you put Riley in, not in his first ACC start. So I'm sure. And I don't know. I can't point to specifics other than that. A lot more two tight end sets. And before we get any questions, Riley's day to day per Mike Elko's press conference. Exactly. (laughs) Some guy, some national media guy was there. He's the one who asked that question. Like all the local media was like, we're not even going to ask him. Like, but he did so. Well, plus, he literally he literally looks at him and goes, "Yeah, I got an update. He's day to day." That leads me to my. That leads well, me I was going to say plus question. two on that though. You also don't put a lot of tape out there of Henry running the offense for Florida State, who has very little tape on Henry as it is. If he happens to be the quarterback Saturday night, that leads that leads me to my next question. At Dustin, oh six eight five five four zero eight. It's a lot of a lot of numbers. Uh, how close was Riley to playing last night? And I don't think he was ever gonna play. I I, I said this earlier the week earlier in the week on social media that I thought it was more gamesmanship, just trying to keep keep state guessing. I mean, and maybe there was a chance that he played if Coach Elko did mention. Uh, they mentioned on the on the pregame that Coach Elko had told them that he needed to see Riley be able to push off that ankle. He right. needed to see Riley to be able to change directions, you know, like like he does. He needed to see Riley being Riley, and Riley didn't show that, so therefore we got Henry. In the video that Tyler got of them walking to the coin toss, he he did actually have a little gimp in his walk. Um, and 
maybe he was testing it out because he was throwing the ball, running, not running, but, you know, sprinting to catch the football. Um, I think he was tr- just trying to show people, like, I'm here. I'll be back soon. Don't worry. But then noticed a little bit of a limp going to the I noticed that also. too. I, yeah. There's no boot, but I noticed a little limp. I mean, for what it happens worth, with I'm a not, high ankle sprain. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> you yeah, just stayed at a holiday inn. Yeah. <laughs> right. So he's practicing his uh, moves just in case he decides he wants to play tight end instead of quarterback. Yeah. He was killing catches some hands on the on end it. zone and stuff. Yeah. No, I think about that though. I mean, if, if this, if this past Saturday's game, NC state would have been the last game of the season and the ACC going to ACC championship game was on the line. Do I think Riley could have played? Absolutely. I think he could have. I think at the end of the day, they made that call early in the week that, hey, we're not going to risk this. We think we can beat NC State without Riley, and we went out and did it. So I do, if you told me, and we know nothing, legitimately, we're not just, we don't know anything. And and listen, Elko isn't going to leak it, and I don't know how Pete Thamel gets his information, but it's not from Mike Elko. Um but, like, I do – if you t- ask me to put money on it, I would put money that he plays this Saturday. But you never know. Jamie? <laughs> I was trying to get the mute button undone. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm just going to go with one more question from State because the last couple were kind of kind of the same stuff we've already uh, already discussed. But Tyler Lester had a good, had a good question uh, off of Facebook. He said, is Terry Moore the most unappreciated player on the roster? And boy, did he have a, he had a nice game Saturday night. Yes, he did. Stepping in for Jeremiah. Yeah, he, I say he blitzed on the second play and was in the backfield and made the first, his first tackle. And from that moment on, it was almost every pile either had him or Freeman coming out of the bottom of it from where they were making tackles and were there for everything. So I think the more he's played, the more confident he's gotten. And, you know, he's an athletic kid anyway. Obviously, we saw that last year as a running back. But he's he's learning the job, and he did a really good job Saturday night. Terry Moore, seven total tackles, half sack, and one half tackle for loss. That's a pretty good yeah. stat line all and in. There was, there was the one play, too, in the first half where I believe it was the tight end for NC State on a crossing route and it may have been close to the end zone if I'm not if I'm mistaken. But it was it was definitely on a sustained drive and it looked like he had it and Terry Moore just came up behind and got his, his right arm in and knocked the ball away. It was a great pass block up so pass pass breakup. So yeah, I mean honestly you take a guy like that who if we're honest, the first couple of games of the year it, you could tell he was still trying to get his feet underneath him at safety. Um you know after playing it in high school but playing running back, you know, at Duke for the first year. Um, but I think now he's fully up to speed. And it is nice to know that you've got three guys back there that can play those two spots. And so if one guy happens to not be where he needs to be, we've got a rotation. So, yeah. All right, cool. So yep. that is all for our NC State uh, mailbag. And like I said, shout out to EJ Manuel. We're just giving you a hard time, buddy, actually. Uh, we would be We would be talking to him right now. Uh, but we're not, and it's okay. But we appreciate you guys giving us questions. We're going to take some Florida State ones here in just a minute. But before we do that, uh, we are going to have our segment that we do each week, uh, going back in Duke football history with our guy, the big dog, the guy who got to meet 
the people who saved his life from Duke Life Flight, got his picture taken with him, got a little badge, uh, a little I survived. I survived. Duke. They were actually coming by to collect on their bill. <laughs> yeah, another bill. Shout out. Shout out to Durham for uh, saving Scott's life and sending him a bill for a few hundred bucks. Uh, but uh, but anyway, nice. this is This Week in Duke Football History with our guy, Scott Medlin. Scott, take it away. So for This Week in Duke Football History, we're going to go back to October 21st, 1950, back when Peter and Jack were both freshmen, I think, for the third time. Quarterback Tom Powers would set the all-time Duke record for most touchdowns and points in a single game, playing on the road against the Richmond Spiders. Powers would score 36 of the 41 points Duke would score that day. The six touchdown Powers would score, along with the 36 points, are both records still today in the Duke record books. Powers would go on to play in the NFL for the Washington, back then Redskins, and would later work at the Department of Labor under the Kennedy administration. And that was This Week in Duke Football History, brought to you by Bull City Sheet Metal. No matter what your duck needs, if air goes through it, they make they make it. Give them a call at 919-354-0993 or visit BullCitySheetMetal.com. Oh, so Uncle Robert had Tom Powers on his staff or was it Uncle John? Do we know? Does it say? It didn't say which one. Wait, what was the years again? 50, what, I thought. So he played in 50. It had to have been Uncle John, John Kennedy. 35th president of the United States. Now, Rest Brian, do you, do you think there was just one shooter or I'm just kidding. We won't <laughs> oh, gosh. The Wallace, <laughs> the Wallace Wade sniper was Wallace not Wade sniper. that day. God. I love it. Oh, but let's not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> and he was there when state had the ball on offense Saturday night. <laughs> oh. yes. All right. So that was this week in Duke football history. It's always enjoyable to go back in time and relive some awesome moments but now we're shifting over to this week hey brian yes before we shift over all right um i would like to mention the durham devils club um real quick durham devils we uh we partner with durham devils club this past week if you weren't on the zoom call you missed out because brian and jamie and scott got to sit down with uh, offensive coordinator kevin johns uh for an exclusive behind the scenes q a that uh, Trinity Club members and above at the Durham Devils Club were able to ask their questions, interact with Coach Johns. I mean, during the middle of the season, that's pretty cool. A game week, they were able to ask a ton of questions. He was super open. Uh, but Durham Devils Club is the NIL arm of Duke, and so I, we want to encourage you to be a part of that, whether you would be a high-level donor uh, or whether you would just be a, you know somebody like $25 a month. That'll get you our content uh, through the Durham Devils Club. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And then if you are watching this, I'm going to go ahead and do this before. I usually do it at the end. But if you're watching this on YouTube, would you subscribe? Make sure you subscribe. I think we're at like 350. And we want to keep this thing rolling. We want to get to 1,000 as quickly as we could. So subscribe, comment. Um, if you're listening to this on Apple, would you leave us a rating and a review? The written reviews are very important if we've earned a five-star. If we haven't earned a five-star, just don't leave us a review. It's all good. Uh, but five-star reviews, Spotify, five-star reviews. Uh, obviously, like us on Facebook. Duke Football Talk, you can search that group. And then uh, Duke FB Talk, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, X, whatever you call it. DukeFootballTalk.com. I think I've got all of it out. But uh, we really do appreciate you guys listening. We try to bring you good content. We put a lot of energy and effort into what we do, guys, and time. And so we really appreciate it. When all, The best thing you can do for us 
is give us a five-star rating and review. We really appreciate it. That's enough for my commercial. Yeah, brought to you by. Uh, yes, and as I stated earlier, we will be speaking with defensive coordinator Tyler Santucci in the coming weeks. I think I said Kevin because I had Kevin Johns on my mind when we interviewed him last hey, week. We'll give him a we'll give him a player tease too. Player hey. tease coming up. True freshman. There's a certain running back that we're yeah. going to be speaking with. Josh kind of gave it away just now, Mr. But. True Freshman. You heard about him. You you saw him in the spring game. You heard a lot about him in summer in the summer uh, fall camp. Uh, you haven't seen a ton of him yet. You see him on some kick returns. He's going to break loose, and you'll hear from him exclusively behind the scenes during DoublesClub.com only. Well, All right. Tell you, let me tell you, man. Kevin Johns was awesome too. That was just a a great interview. Yeah, we enjoyed it. His son kind of snuck in at the last minute to ask him a question. That is the only thing we're going to tell you about the interview. So that was fun to get a sneak attack by Logan. We had a great time. But we got to move on, fellas. It's FSU week. 7.30, ABC, Saturday night. A big matchup in Tallahassee. Josh and Scott will both be driving down south to Tallahassee to see the game in person. That is a once-in-a-lifetime experience, fellas. I hope you enjoy it. But now we've got to get to our second mailbag segment, this time talking all things Florida State. So, Jamie, go ahead and get us rolling with the first question. Second mailbag segment. Do I get overtime pay for this? or What's zero times zero? Yeah, you get yeah. double. No, zero times two. We'll give them double. Yeah, okay, yeah. Zero times two. You, you can take uh, the intern's pay. You just you get the Jethro Bodine math. Nought plus nought equals nought. <laughs> all right, we've got our first one is an email submission from Ed. Who is class of Duke 1979? So shout out to Ed. Uh, he said first he wants to thank us for our podcast. He, uh, as a Duke grad and someone who first started attending Duke football games with his dad, who graduated from Duke in 1943, uh, when he was eight years old, he, he appreciates our dedication and enthusiasm and insights. Um, his first question, he had a couple of questions. His first questions, as he watched the games and reviewed the depth chart, the skill, at least too deep, is impressive. The two lines in the secondary jump out at as examples for him, not to mention the running backs. He said, is Coleman going to play this year? We haven't been seeing much of Coleman ever since he was injured, and it's just hard to get up that depth chart now. I mean, I I I'm, don't know, like Josh said earlier, we, we don't have any ends with the team. It just – I don't know if it's just Jordan's been playing so great and Jacquez was right behind him, or if he's still having that lingering injury, we don't know. We all thought coming into the season it would be Jalen and Jacquez with a mix-in of Jordan as the cowbell. Um, but, yeah, that that has been something that we've noticed, too. Jalen's a great running back. He showed his, his, his power and his speed last year. We have no idea. We're not a part of the meetings. I just think that room's so good that it's going to be hard to get – whoever's playing off the field, barring, I mean, knock on wood like Scott did last week, an injury or something yeah. like that. I mean, I hate to keep pushing back to this, but if you were a DDC member, Kevin John spoke a little bit to this uh, this past Thursday. Coach Oko was actually asked about him today as well on Monday in the presser. Um, and his thing was, he says Jalen is, is back from his injury. He's ready to go, but he said, when you have Jordan and Jacquez, by the way, Jacquez probably had his best game of the season or it seemed like he got his his mojo back in the state game. Um, when those two guys are running so good, who are you going to take out? Like, who snaps is he going to take? And, you know, it's a good problem to have. So, 
Uh, I, I'm not concerned about Jalen Coleman. I believe as this team has shown the next man up mentality, if his numbers called, he's going to be ready. Uh, but right now you can't, you can't put four running backs in the backfield and <laughs> hand the ball off to all four of them. It just doesn't work. All right. He has another, and this is getting into the discussion about the home attendance. And he says, I get the discussion about the home attendance, but instead to choose to focus on the positive, they buy season tickets. They have a family group and an alum group that sit together in section 29. And like us, he supports the team with being at games. But a few years ago, he reviewed attendance figures going back to the 1960s. He even looked up into the 1940s. And in most years, a good crowd was 25 to 30K with the occasional larger crowd for important games. And he did compile those numbers and he sent them to us. And Brian might want to speak to some of those. Listen, I was so giddy. Y'all know I'm all about facts and stats and numbers. My man, Ed... He came in with the heat. Folks, we're not going to go down the negative trail. We know the whole talk. It's It's been like this forever about home attendance. Let me put some things into perspective for you because Ed came with the heat. So, nine, folks, we talked about the 1938 team a couple of times. That was the year that the Duke team didn't get scored on at all the entire season. Now, again, 1938, I get it. Ed even prefaces by saying that Durham had not blossomed to the population that it was. They had crowds of 30,000, 15,000, and 49,000 against Pitt. Pretty impressive. That was uh, additional stands probably brought in. The 1960 Cotton Bowl season, crowds of 28,000 against State, 33,000 against Clemson, 40 against Georgia Tech, and 46,000 against Navy. But that was back when Navy was a powerhouse. Again, multiple stands brought in. What am I getting at here? Simply this. This has always happened with Duke football. Be appreciative of what you have. You know the saying, you don't know what you have until it's gone. To the fans that are complaining, yes, we get it. But you know what? As I just stated, since 1938, from Ed's research, this has always happened. So what? what's the easiest way that you can put the naysayers to bed, show up if you can. Like Scott said last, last week, we understand. You got kids. It's a primetime game. Hard to get out. You're sick like Jamie was. He's not going to come out and jeopardize people's health. We get that. I'm just going to throw this out there. November 2nd, 730, Wake Forest. There's not going to be any tailgating because it is a school day for the university. Gates open at 5. Get there. Get in the stadium, enjoy the second-to-last home game of the season because this team could potentially, potentially be what? Nine and – no, no, no. We're five and one now. Could be seven and one, maybe eight and one, I believe. Seven and one going into that game. And we have not seen a seven and one Duke team that late in the season since – I don't even remember. I don't even think the 13 team was at that point. So it's been a while, but Ed, thank you so much. If you want to keep sending weekly emails with all the stats and facts, we would love it. We will put it out there if it's pertaining to our opponent or pertaining to the weekly episode. Just folks, enjoy the ride. That's all I can say. We, I think we all agree on that and come if you can. Yeah, if I, and if I can say this too, uh, Brian mentioned the next home game is a Thursday night game. Go ahead and take the day off work Friday if you have time yes. to take off work. Look, man, like, I mean, this is me. Y'all, I'm not, I'm not a parenting uh, guru or anything. Like, bring your kids if your kids want to come and, like, hey, you, you take them to school an hour late, you know, Friday or something. Like, they'll be fine. I promise you they'll make it. Uh, but 
but understand that. And then the second thing you brought and you mentioned about doing what you can do. And I think at the end of the day, that's really it. And you got to understand there's so many things working against Duke with, with attendance and it's, they're all legitimate. There's, there's a reason why the same things continue to be brought up about the attendance It's because they're legitimate. And listen, don't be so naive. Cameron indoor stadium seats 9,300 people and Duke basketball has a hard time filling up 9,300 seats legitimately. They have sold them what actually butts in those seats. Go to most every game that's not a high-level ACC game, and you're going to find empty seats throughout Cameron. So, like, it just is what it is, and it's okay. Duke recruiting, I promise you this. Derek Miller and the recruiting staff at Duke do not sit there and tell these guys, hey, if you come to Duke, you're going to play in front of sold-out Wallace Wade Stadium every week. They don't tell those guys that. They come to Duke for other reasons. They're this. I don't believe in any way the attendance hurts recruiting because Duke doesn't use that as a selling point. So, like, come if you can, support the team. Obviously, come more than you're coming right now, but I'm not <laughs> going to make anybody feel terrible. Yeah, uh, let me – so because I've been on the hill for the last three weeks. Let me go ahead and just come down a little bit. Obviously, after hearing – Let rip, uh, tater chip. <laughs> after, honestly, though, after hearing, you know, the numbers from what Ed said, mm-hmm. you know, that makes total sense. And I understand, again – you know, I'm, I'm not going to dog anybody. I'm not going to give you a hard time. I'm not trying to split up the whole fan base here. If you can come, that's what we need. If you can't, support from home, watch TV, help those numbers. Because, look, those numbers when we're nas- on national TV at 730 at night, at 8 o'clock at night, are huge. Duke has two. If you took Colorado's season out of this, Duke would be what two of the top five to six games of the season so far with Clemson and Notre Dame. That's a huge thing. So if Prime wasn't doing what he was doing out there, losing twenty nine, I mean losing games after being up twenty nine nothing at halftime at midnight, then it would be totally different. Yeah, I got an interesting stat for you, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but if you count game day, college game day, Notre Dame game, and the Clemson game, if you just add the viewership of those three events up, that's more viewers than Duke football had the entire season last year, including the bowl game, and, look, and just those and- three events. Duke is and, a, Duke is a name brand. I mean, it's Duke is going to draw eyes. Like if Duke football continues to win, Duke football will continue to draw eyes on TV. You know, it's still Wallace Wade is still going to be the the same old same old. I'm afraid, but on TV they will draw numbers. And going back really quick, and we'll put a pin in this one. I really thought social media might have had an influence on the lower numbers in recent years because you can. You can access a game on something like this in the comfort of your home or wherever you're at. But as we see with Ed's numbers, this is just something that has happened since Wallace Wade has been open. So, again, best thing you can do, if at all possible, you know, get your wife, get your kids, get grandma and granddad, come to the game if you can. All right. Uh, We're moving on to Facebook and Michael Martino with the question of, could Duke beat the Carolina Panthers? <laughs> I mean, as as long as Riley's starting, yes, yeah, yeah. I think I think if Riley starts, yeah, Duke wins thirty eight to ten. You know, Carolina scores ten points. I wouldn't give Denver ten. <laughs> I don't know Denver could score three against Duke. Hey, maybe they, I, maybe they should play State. <laughs> Scott, are you are you preparing for the Drake May show to come to Denver? I've never heard of her. Who is 
All right. I already don't like the one quarterback they have. Do you really think I'm going to like that other ball? Broncos Nation, let's ride. Yeah, I'm going to have to find a new team. Chris McCurdy. Uh, is Jordan Waters the most underrated or at least talked about running back in the country? That's a great question. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think the one point. thing he's missing, and this is okay, is the yardage count. Uh, but, I mean, he helped himself this past week with, what, 123 or something? 123 on 13 carries. Yeah, but his his touchdown count is just it's ridiculous, man. And, like, y'all, listen, we, we can be honest on here. We don't – we do not – we are trying not to be critical of players ever. But I will – I guess I'll, I'm willing to say this now. Last year, we would get very frustrated with, with Jordan Waters because it felt like he was tiptoeing in the backfield a lot like trying to wait for the hole to open up and he just wasn't getting north to south and he's a north south runner. And so he'd find himself, you know, behind the line of scrimmage or he'd find himself, you know, with a one yard gain. And this year, like, it's like my man is possessed in a good way. He's finding his lanes. I mean, that run, listen, we already said that Duke called one pass play in the entire second half. So they knew the run was coming and he still broke the 83 yarder. So, like, my, my man is legit. Well, just like with you and Todd, Jordan has become my favorite this year so far. Let me put things into perspective for you. He only had 566 yards last year. Now, granted, you had Jalen, you had Jacquez. It was more of a three-headed monster. And Terry. And Terry, too. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, 566 yards. He is only 140 yards off of that mark halfway through the season. He's already surpassed his touchdown number. He had eight last year. He's got nine this year. He's averaging six and a half yards a carry. Last year, it was four and a half. So whatever he did in the offseason, whatever David Feely fed him in the offseason, keep feeding that boy whatever it is because the cowbell is running loose. And while the 83-yard uh, the gotcha. touchdown run was like was awesome and he was just completely yeah. untouched, my favorite run of the night was, I think it was about a 15 to 17 yard run. <laughs> and towards the end, he run over he that dude. a dude from state. And I was like, Jordan Waters just killed a guy. Memories <laughs> of the Charlotte TV. game. Yeah. Oh, we struck him. But, you know, according to state fans, if those plays didn't happen, yeah, state state wins the game. Like if Michael Jordan didn't win six, six uh, NBA championships, he'd have zero. Like it's crazy. But if Jordan Waters hadn't trucked that guy, he wouldn't have gotten to 15 yards. So, according well, you to know, fans. Speaking of Chris, since he's the one that asked the question, he had a great video of the run from sitting up in 17, and that's why we kind of started the whole view from 17 being great. You had two great views, if you think about it. You had that, and then the beautiful pass for Beelan to Calhoun to start the game. And then the third one that, one that hurt the most was when Papa Dylan said that Jalen was going to run that punt back for a touchdown, and then he did it, and we're all celebrating, and nobody saw the flag except what for the guy that threw the it. Most. All right. It's kind of like the Carolina game all over again. With the, Jamie, with the why are you trying to you trying to stop me? Dang, from Jamie. Something? Usually, I'm the one that's like, how many questions we got? <laughs> He's like, all right, moving on. <laughs> I'm trying to sing a song because Scott's talking about what hurts the most. It's By the way, I think it's, it's uh, local time and holding beats. <laughs> I think it was uh. Oh, who was it? Bergeron, potentially, they got that hold. And so we were talking to Jalen. Jalen said he's going to owe a mistake. So, you know. Speaking of stakes, Jordan, if I win uh, the season predictions, you can come out with us for my steak dinner. Just That's right. Out there. That's right. Jonathan Huggins on Facebook. All right, here we go with our FSU question here. 
what does Duke need to do to beat FSU? And my answer to that is yes. Just, I don't, <laughs> it's going to be tough. I mean, FSU in Tallahassee, Duke has never beaten FSU. Homecoming. This is a 7.30 night game, homecoming. It's going to be tough. I mean, Jordan Travis is playing, playing lights out. Another stat I saw on TV, and then I'll let y'all jump into it. I was watching all the pregames. I'm able to see all these stats instead of being at the stadium. But um, FSU has now 12 straight games of 30-plus points, and that is like the second longest streak in ACC history. So something's going to have to give. Duke's got a defense only giving up 11.2 points per game. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be some smash-mouth football. Yeah, so it's funny. I actually brought – I looked at this up. Uh, FSU's averaging 42 points a game. Duke's averaging 32 points a game. On the flip side, FSU's defense has only given up 18 points a game. And Duke, I think it updated, Jamie, he's only given up eight, eight and a half, let's just say eight points a game. So we're either going to have a defensive battle or we could have a shootout, fellas, one or the other. I, I just don't see one team dominating the other, even with it being FSU, being homecoming. I, I, I think the defense up to the challenge. I just hopefully the offense will too. Here's my thought process. If you hit Jordan Travis, he's going to get hurt. That's what they did to MJ Morris the other night. If they, if they blitz, like I'm assuming they probably will, and put the DBs, Blades, and Chandler, and Miles on an island against these big boys, these 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six boys, and the tight end too, I really think there's a chance if you can get to Jordan Travis, you hurt him. Now, I'm not saying we're trying to hurt him. I'm just saying if you hit him, there's a chance that he's going to get hurt like he does every game. And who knows? It may be something that by the time he gets to the Duke game, it just messes up everything. All right. Next up, Nathaniel Miller on Facebook. Is there any way Duke plays both quarterbacks against Florida State? Riley is really good at, at running and making the short passes, and Henry is great with long-distance passes. We did see the arm. Uh, could we see Henry in a few snaps, maybe, even if Riley is healthy? And at, shout out to at MD Games 5 on Twitter because he has something very similar. I mean, do I think that we could run a wrinkle where they're both in the game at the same time and Riley maybe goes in motion and Henry almost runs like a wildcat? Like, I, I think that could happen. I, I was actually think it's funny the question because I was going through this in my head today. There would be a chance if we did something like that, if Jomo was on the field too, we could have three legitimate guys that could make the pass as a quarterback on the field. So I don't know. I mean, if you're going to bring something crazy out like that, Florida State game is probably the game to do it. Um, but I, I, if you're asking me, do I think they're going to have certain series for Henry compared to Riley? I, I don't know. I think if Riley can go 100% of the time, he's going to go 100% of the time. So no, I don't think if I don't think they're going to do it just to do it. I think if Riley needs the breather, then obviously Henry could come in, but I don't think they're going to build it in. I don't think we've seen much trickeration at all. So you know, just saying. All right, all right. Regina Lee, um, she said she was really encouraged hearing our interactions with the team before the Clemson game. You shared the team was locked in and prepping at a very high level. Uh, so now she wants to share anything we can about the team's prep for FSU as well as their prep in general for all games. 
She says, please talk about mood, confidence, adaptability, mental prep, game prep, et cetera, anything you can. Yeah, I mean, so what we had – sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that was a loaded question, Regina, yeah. as always. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Regina's incredible. I appreciate her being like a loyal listener. Um, well, we What we had back then was we had a little bit more access because we were able to be at practices um, leading up to the Clemson – well, not leading up to the game, but, you know, probably two weeks out. Um, and so, but, you know, now we get to, we we're there for, uh, coach Elko's pressers. Um, and that's really about it. But I will say this, just judging from the people we speak to inside the program, uh, you know, connected to the players, this team has got an, an odd sense of like confidence, but humility, like it's kind of a, it's kind of a unique balance that they're striking. They're not too high on themselves, which, you know, honestly, you're sitting here five and one. Uh, ranked 16th, the highest that a program the program's been ranked since 1994, or maybe it surpassed that even uh, this week. But um, you know the arrogance could be there. I don't believe this team's arrogant, but this team is very confident. And in case they weren't confident, they went in Saturday night and dominated NC State without their starting quarterback. So um, I think you know all that to say, if you ask Coach Elko those questions, he says we prepare for every game the exact same way. Um, there's nothing special about one game over the other. Do I think there could be some like fatigue, honestly, from like the 7:30 ABC primetime games, the one we had at Clemson, obviously not Saturday, but Labor Day. And now there's two of those and there's the potential of the Louisville game being one as well. I mean, I think you could get a little bit of fatigue from just being on the main stage. But I think Coach Elko is going to do everything he can to fight against that. Yeah, I agree. Um, moving on to Twitter. Are you sure Sam. you agree? <laughs> yeah, sure. I absolutely <laughs> agree. Uh, at Sam B. Andrews, one, two, three, four. Of the FSU, Louisville, and UNC games, what is a realistic record to go in those games and what should be our expectations? I mean, to me, our expectations are already – Coach Elko has got it to the point where our expectations are we're going to win those games. I mean, that's what he's that's what he's brought to the table, right, for this Duke football team. Realistically, could we go 3-0? and Yeah, I mean, this team could go 3-0. and The team could also go 1-2 and because those are tough games. Uh, I mean, you could lose all three. I mean, I, I don't know, but I think you can win all three of those games. No problem. I mean – that was the most Not political. No problem, that was the most political answer you could have given. Well, we could be three and zero. We could be one and two. We could be zero and three. <laughs> please, also, please vote for me. Yes, 2024, Jamie, twenty twenty four. The only one he left out was two and one. So I guess we can't yeah. go two and one. Um, I'll put it to you this way, and we've talked about it before. This team has not played Florida State since. Oh my gosh! I tell the tapes coming up soon, so I'll tell you then. Um, yeah, almost. Um, Florida State, I think, is just going to be another chip on the shoulder game. No one's given us a chance. We're going to go down to Florida State, and we should win the game. Louisville, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. They're thinking back to that 2021 game, just like the four of us, because I think we were the only four in the stadium when the blowout was happening. But the majority of the guys on this team. We're part of that game. They have a chip on their shoulder for that game. And, folks, we all know what happened last year in Wallace Wade against UNC. The victory bell should be 
in the O Center right now. But it is what it is. I saw the I saw the victory bell this weekend, and I kept telling folks around me, ring it as much as you can because come November 11th, it's coming home. Um, all three games are winnable. To Jamie's point, I'm now I'm going to sound political, but these are very well tuned teams. As much as I hate to say it, even UNC. But I, 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 go ahead, Scott. No, I would say this: going into games in the past, like Notre Dame. Um, the mindset personally, you know, obviously that, uh, the years of all the, everything that's ever happened, just the stress and the things of, oh my goodness, what could go wrong? Even when we were down against Notre Dame, I never had a doubt in my mind that we could not win that game because of what coach Elko and Feely and Johns and Santucci and all these guys have been doing for the last almost two years. So I think they have the ultimate confidence. And they'll go out there and play their best game. Now, if Florida State, Carolina, or Louisville is better that night, then so be it. You tip your cap. Unlike the state fans did, you say, great job. You guys won. Congrats. But other than that, man, you got, I think you've got to go in the mindset you go 3-0. and But you do like they always say, one game at a time. Let's go beat FSU Saturday night and go beat Louisville next week. All right. At sit you in at sit in you okay. Sit in you okay. <laughs> that's Will. We've met him before. Uh he just has more of a comment than a question. He's, Next weekend would be a great time to notch our first win versus FSU. With their with their uh bluster about an ACC exit, we need to give them a parting gift to remember us by. And I'll move on to at LA Dodgers all day. And this is Damn. for Brian. Quite simple this week for me is where will Brian be enjoying his steak? Because Waters is quite literally running away with the touchdowns. <laughs> and again, that's apparently the only category that I'm looking good at. I updated the prediction sheets today. Of course, Jamie's up a point on the rest of us because of the Clemson win. So I got to give credit where credit's due. But as far as the other categories, it's a tur- well, turkey shoot. It's a uh, crab shoot. <laughs> yeah, it's a turkey shoot. Look, it's 10-15 to Jamie's point. We're going, still recording. You mean I'm going for a three-peat? Oh, my. Wow. If I get a three-peat, y'all will never, like, I mean, that's. Yeah. Just, yeah, we're going to have an episode. Hard to come ja- back from. Jamie's no longer with us on the Section 17 <laughs> podcast. All right. At T.S. Lester underscore. FSU is obviously the most explosive team we've played so far. I think so far our biggest hole on offense has been just lack of explosive plays in the past game. But Beelan opens up a new ex- new dimension. Are we concerned any about our wide receivers getting space against the FSU DBs? Sure. I mean, they're good. I, I'm, I'm concerned about that. I think, I mean, th- this is going to be probably, Coach Elko said today, it's definitely the fastest defensive line that we faced. It's probably going to be the fastest defense as a, as a whole that we're going to face. And so, I mean, yeah, I'm concerned about that. I any Listen, go ahead and get people ready now. You're not going to see deep shots probably against this team. You're going to see the short intermediate passes. You're going to see run game. You're going to see field position battle. You're going to, you're going to need Porter Wilson to stretch and, uh, and to get some punts inside the 10. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like these, these teams like Notre Dame, Clemson and Florida state, the, the athleticism they possess requires Duke to play a certain way. 
And so I just would expect it. It just is what it is. All right. I'm going to just do one more off of Twitter since we're, we're, we're heading, uh, heading long here and Brian still has to do the pillow of the tape and we still got to do our predictions. <laughs> uh, this might be a two hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> at Robert P. Oh, six, four, nine, two, five, two, six. There's a lot of people with a lot of numbers. Tonight. Are people just putting their phone numbers in their ex accounts? It's their social. No. It's their social. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. COVID one, Jamie zero with our continued success. How do we keep the staff and head coach at Duke? And I mean, I think there's going to be a point where we're going to have to pony up the money. Yeah. First of all, but we're also going to have to realize that we're going to lose a guy like Kevin Johns. Eventually we're going to lose guys like Tyler Santucci. They're going to get head coaching jobs. I mean, but we really want to be able to fork out money to keep, keep some of those guys and hire replacements when they do get head coaching gigs. Cause you know, they're going to, and most importantly, keep coach Elko. I would say this, Jamie, you said it, but I want to, I want to highlight a portion of what you said. I believe that we ought to pay enough money to where Kevin John Santucci and fill in the blank with any other coach on the staff would not leave for another similar job, but they would leave for a head coaching job, right? We don't want, we want to pay Kevin Johns enough to where he's not going to go be the offensive coordinator at some other college. Like we want to pay him enough where he would stay at Duke. Now, if he gets a head coaching opportunity, then that's, that's a different story. So that's what I would say. We want to pay enough to where they don't want to leave and make a lateral move from Duke. And that's all she wrote. So, Brian, it's all you. <laughs> what a segue, Jamie. <laughs> no, we, we typically don't do two mailbags, but, again, we didn't have anyone to talk with about FSU. So, And we're yeah. only a, an hour and nine minutes in. We're fine. I get delusional when it gets past 10 o'clock and we're recording. I'm an old man. <laughs> yeah, 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 guys. In case you guys didn't know if you're listening, watching, Brian is like a 98-year-old man trapped in like a 35-year-old body. So, Grandpa's got to drink his prune juice and get to bed. That's right. That's right. Put his diaper on. <laughs> I'm the oldest guy in the group, and I probably stay up later than all y'all every night. No argument there. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, let's tell the tape time, Brian. Let's hear about our opponent, these FSU Seminoles, uh, number four in the nation. Let's find out what you have for us. And always, as always, we look forward to the end of that, where you give us the "Did you know?" Brian Kennedy, take it away. And it's still unsponsored, folks. Come on, I can count on you. Sponsor this segment. Tell the tape for the Florida State Seminoles. Last year, Florida State went ten and three and went to the Cheez-Its Bowl, where they defeated Oklahoma. 35 to 32. Now, currently, Florida State is 6 0 and ranked fourth in the country. And last week, the Seminoles took it to Syracuse 41 to 3. Head coach Mike Norvell's in his fourth season with the Seminoles and has a 62 and 31 overall coaching record. He's also 1 and 3 in bowl games all time. Now, before becoming the Florida State head coach in 2020, Norvell was the head coach of the Memphis Tigers from 2016 to 2019. And before that, Norvell had assistant coaching stints at Arizona State, Pitt, and Tulsa. Now, overall, this is the 20th matchup all time between Duke and Florida State. And as we stated earlier, Florida State is a perfect 19-0 against the Duke Blue Devils. The first ever meeting between Duke and Florida State took place on September 5th, 1992 in Doak Campbell Stadium, 
where FSU defeated Duke soundly 48 to 21. Now from 1992 until 2007, the two teams would square off yearly. But since 2007, Duke and FSU have only played each other five times. The last meeting between Duke and Florida State took place during COVID on December 12, 2020, when Florida State defeated Duke 56 to 35 in Tallahassee. Now the closest Duke has come to defeating FSU was back in 2017, when the Blue Devils lost 17 to 10 in Wallace Wade Stadium. And Mike Elko is 0-3 all-time against FSU when he was the defensive coordinator at Wake Forest. Now it's time for the Did You Know. When entering Doak Campbell Stadium, fans passed by a unique cemetery that was created over 60 years ago. The Sod Cemetery, which commemorates many of FSU's greatest victories, was started in 1962. After a practice, FSU professor Dean Moore challenged the Seminole football team the Thursday before its matchup against then-ranked number 5 Georgia. Moore had helped coach the first FSU team in 1947 and was a mentor to the football program during its time at FSU. Moore said, quote, Win and bring back some sod from between the hedges of Georgia. The team took Moore's words to heart and upset the Bulldogs 18 to nothing. Team captain Gene McDowell pulled up a small piece of grass from the field and presented it to Moore at the team's next practice. Moore and head coach Bill Peterson buried the grass in the practice field and a monument was placed to commemorate the victory. Since that first game, sod is brought back to be buried in the cemetery if FSU either wins a game where they are the underdog, which isn't that much, defeats Florida on the road, or if they win the ACC championship, a bowl game, or of course the national championship. Once the sod is buried, a plaque with the score of the game with their opponent is placed above. To date, there are currently 110 different pieces of sod in the sod cemetery, with the last burial taking place after this past season's Cheez-It Bowl. Former head coach Bobby Bowden has contributed the most to the Sod Cemetery as his teams over the years have buried 63 pieces of Sod from big games. And that was the tale of the tape for the Florida State Seminoles. Josh? Man, the the not yet sponsored tell of the tape. And so uh, that's pretty neat. Uh, that's a pretty cool uh, tradition that Florida State has. Um, we're going to be down uh, this weekend, Scott and I. We'll be down there. It's homecoming for them. It's seven thirty start. It's going to be take some incredible. photos. Oh, we will. We'll be we'll be doing the whole tour. We're getting down there a little bit early as well, so we can we can see what we can do even on Friday. Um, so, well, now it's time uh, to first find out you, the fans, who got the closest to the score uh, and pick the right team. Which I hope you did that. Uh, and we'll be sending you a free uh, section seventeen or bleed blue uh, t shirt. And then uh, we'll give you our predictions as well. So uh, who do we have win online this past week? Yeah, we did not have any exact score predictions, but we did have folks pick Duke to beat NC State on Facebook. Jason Rogers, Cash's dad, predicted Duke to win 24-10. to 10. So Jason, we'll be reaching out to you uh, probably after this episode drops. On Twitter, Chris McLaughlin predicted Duke to win 24-17. to 17. I believe I picked him because he was the only one that picked Duke's score right. Again, folks, if you pick Duke's score on the nose, you are automatically qualified. If no one picks it, then I go to closest to the actual score. And then on Instagram, Blue Devil Mania, the closest one predicted Duke to win 24 
to seven. So all three of you will be reached out to by Scott in the coming days to get your free Section 17 T-shirt. Josh? Awesome. So now, guys, what do we think? You know, we all uh, – I think we all, if I'm not mistaken, in the beginning of the season, we all did say this was probably going to be a loss. If I'm not mistaken, I think we all picked that. I, I could be wrong. Um, even even Jordan Mann, the eternal optimist, the 10 and 2 Jordan Mann, I think picked this um, as a loss. And so, yeah, we all did. But I don't know that any of us expected Duke to be sitting here 5 and 1. I don't know any if any of us – Expected to see Florida State struggle with Boston College uh, a couple of weeks ago like they did. Uh, I think Duke beating Clemson the way that Duke beat Clemson and then watching Florida State and Clemson, you know, go at it has given Duke confidence. So uh, do we have the um, over-under and and all that? Uh, Let's get that first and then we'll get to our predictions. Okay, I just checked this before we started recording. So this is the most updated numbers. Over-under is 49 points total. And FSU is still a 14-point favorite. Two touchdowns on Duke. So who wants to go first? I'll go first. I'll get it out of the way. Um, And I'm going to, yeah, I've got faith in these guys. Um, It's going to be a tough one. Uh, I I have something different written down, but I just can't do it. I can't pick Florida State. I cannot do it. I have them written down. I'm going to go Duke 31 Florida State 27. I've got us going white out. White, white, white with the gothic script. Duke, the ones from the from the Clemson game. White, 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 gothic script, Duke. Duke 31, Florida State 27. Who's next? I'll go next. Um, sorry, Jamie. I didn't see you unmute. So I actually wrote down um, a Duke win. I'm not changing it. I did not put FSU down. I think this is going to be the game that gets this team over the hump as far as national attention and national recognition. To Scott's point earlier, you pressure Jordan Travis, it's going to be a completely different game as we've seen against Clemson, against NC State, against some of these other schools. This defensive line can get to the quarterback no matter who they're up against. I'm going to go the route that I think Josh went a couple weeks ago. I've got Duke winning it late 27 to 24 with a Todd Father game winning field goal. 27 24. As far as the jersey combination, I have been wrong all year long, and I don't expect that to change this week. I think the equipment staff's having some fun with us. I'm going to go white lid, white jersey, blue bottoms. I don't think we're going to have the white out. Just give me that big blue D on the helmet. I don't see the Gothic script coming back. I think they're going to, I think they saved that for home games. We've only seen it for Clemson and Notre Dame. So again, white, white, blue, big blue D. Jamie. All right. Um, so in Tallahassee, what a place to play, right? I, I wanted, I wanted, I was going to pick FSU, but I'm not going to. I was going to. I thought about it all day, and I just can't go against this Duke team. But I think we're going to make it into like a more of a defensive slugfest. Yes, I know that FSU has scored 30-plus points 12 straight games, but we've seen that this is the best defense that Duke has had in my lifetime. And I think that they can continue to make life hard on Jordan Travis. And I also think 
that we win it with a Todd Polino field goal. 20 to 17. Duke lose to Tallahassee with a win, 20 to 17. Jerseys, I'm gonna go. Also icy whites like Josh, but I'm gonna change up with the big blue D. Well, yeah. Obviously, even if I was gonna pick Florida State, you can't do it now. <laughs> you can't be that guy, which is fine because I was don't really want to pick him anyway. But I had thought about it, and I'm like Jamie earlier. You know, heart, mind, soul. But I'm a Duke fan, so why in God's name would I pick some stupid Seminoles? At this point, I think you know Jamie almost got what I was gonna do. I'm gonna say 21-17 Duke. I don't think there's going to be a lot of points scored. I do think it's going to be a defensive battle. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that it's worse than that. Maybe 38-7 Duke would be nice, or 28-3 or something like that for Duke. But anyway, and as far as the uniforms, I mean, we haven't seen it yet. The icy whites, it, it's going to happen. I, I don't think they would go blue pants because I think Florida State's going to go with the, the Seminole the burgundy and the maroon, I'm sorry, and the gold, I'm assuming. So I think we go icy white. I do like the idea of the gothic uh, duke on it, but I'm going to go with that big old blue D. Man, you guys are fans of that. I mean, if they save the Hellraiser first, well... It is a special occasion. It's FSU. We don't play them every year. You're probably going to be right, Josh. We'll see. That. We'll see. We'll see. We have no info on that. And the Lord knows if we had info on it, Brian Kennedy would be uh, would would be giddy the entire episode, just ready to get it right. The one time we did have inside info, we lied to every one of you and acted like we did not know. Even so me. Know that was, yeah, even, even Brian. me. That was difficult. So, uh, so anyway, this has been uh, a great episode. We want to thank each and every one of you for following along, for being a part of the Section 17 family. Uh, just as a reminder, there are two home games left. Uh, if you need tickets to either one of those, uh, if you've made it this far in the episode, we'll just tell you if you need tickets to those, hit up the DMs. We got you. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll take care of you on that until they run out. Um, but we really want to see uh, you in the stands there for while at Wallace Wade for the Wake Forest game. We'll be giving you some information too about a potential pregame hangout for the Wake Forest game since we're not going to be able to tailgate. Uh, give you some information about that, and then also uh, information potentially about the UNC game about what we'll be we may be doing. And so uh, with that, am um, I missing anything, Scott? Jamie, anything from you guys? It's been a good episode, Brian. You ready to take us out of here? Yeah, and I got to say, Trent Pace, thanks for calling me out last week. I, for some reason, thought we were playing Louisville this upcoming weekend. To Jamie's excuse, I blame COVID. COVID did it, but it is FSU, 730, ABC. I promise I'll keep the schedule straight moving forward. Scott? I was just going to say, Trent actually gets to keep his spot in Section 17 because had all of his future family that was there wearing the state colors, had they won, Trent was getting ready to get booted off 17 Island. Yeah, it's a very exclusive place, folks, and we hope to see as many of you there November 2nd, Thursday night, 7.30 kickoff against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. But another episode in the books. We are all looking forward to watching the FSU game, whether it be in person like Scott and Josh or whether it be on TV like Jamie and myself. But we hope to see you all in the coming weeks. 
If you see us out in public, don't be afraid to say hey to us. We're not, we don't bite people's heads off. We're nice. So, but until next week for the reaction episode and the upcoming Louisville game for Josh Cox, for Scott Medlin, for Jamie Holt, and producer Justin Sykes, I'm Brian Kennedy. And this has been another episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. Now turn the music up. <laughs>